Okay, welcome to the Spotlight with Sean O'Rourke. I'm back with Stu. Uh, we're talking about all sorts of stuff today. We've got uh, Indiana Jones 5, uh, the Snyder Cut. Uh, we talk about Baywatch, Dukes of Hazard, Green Hornet. Uh, and, and I do a shout out to one of my old bosses, Christy Kwan, uh, who's a production supervisor uh, in the film industry. There's a great article. It's going to be in the description below uh, if you want to learn more. Uh, Christy Kwan's doing some amazing stuff. Um, and uh, we got some good stuff. Let's get going. Okay, so last uh, in the last week, just every other day, more news was coming out after you know the announcement of the Snyder Cut huh, that yeah. was that was being released, and um, you know, you almost can't keep up with it, so you have to kind of, you know, uh, they were there were num- numbers thrown around that you know it was going to cost twenty to thirty million. They're talking about it being originally it was a four hour movie, then the next day it was out that it would be a six part series of 35 minute episodes that'll add up to the the whole Snyder cut uh you know 20 million to fix it then 20 million to 30 million to fix it or to complete the visual effects and uh Bob Greenblatt uh, who's the chairman of Warner Brothers today uh was commenting that it was going to take more than 30 million dollars to to finish it um which leads me to believe kind of like what we talked about was that this is they're making it it's going to be a series like like a limited series a six episode four episode almost like you know you're hearing that the on disney plus the obi-wan kenobi series it was supposed to be eight part then it was cut down to six part you know and and so on so it's it's basically a long mini it's they might as well call it a mini series um but you were telling me you know that what what your thoughts were on what you think the 30 million, 20 to 30 million is going to be spent on. I have my thoughts. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, again, it's like, and lately it seems like you're getting different information from all over the place. You've got, you know, them saying it's going to initially it was 20 million. Now it's like 30 or more. Um, I do think if they keep it under around 20 to 30, it's probably just ADR, like the, you know, voice acting and that's it. Cause they'll, it, and again, it depends that you're getting uh, conflicting reports on the state of the Snyder Cut. Some have said it's practically done. And then others like, no, it's not done. It's like a work in progress. And I get they're going to completely retool it, probably to get back to his original vision for the miniseries within budget. And so I th- I feel like the key thing would be all the visual effects. And I feel like the visual effects would just eat up that $20 million in no time. And so that would only leave room, like, because the minute you start gearing into production, like, that's a that's a big machine you have to start turning, even on a small scale, on that level, to get all those people and all the stuff, and especially with all the things going on now with the you know post lockdown kind of situation, who knows how much more that's going to cost production to kind of implement those things and then work in a different way. So yeah. they'll burn through that money quick, and I feel like you would only have time and room for like voice acting as far as like in the CGI sequences that they need to finish. If wonder woman's screaming out something to Superman, that's what they would come in and perform. That's my thinking, but well, but here's the thing this, and this is why I'm going into it with a completely open mind that they may even bring back actors to do. They had to redo. First of all, 
Bob Greenblatt from Warner Brothers, chairman, is on record saying they've been negotiating since last fall. Wow. This Snyder Cut. And that they had to extend out all the actors' contracts. Now, is that to cover ADR or is that to bring them back? And let's just be honest. Like, it, it makes sense that they would just come back and do ADR or do some looping or, you know, whatever they got to do. Yeah. But I think there may be some performance stuff coming in. And I'll tell you why. And this is why I feel this is because if they are making it a series, they mm -hmm. may want to put in some scenes that weren't in the original. So if this is going to be longer than a four hour thing or six 30 minute episodes, uh, they that's longer than maybe the, the four hour cut of the film. They're yeah. going to have to plug holes. Now, here's the other thing. Remember. A year ago or last fall when they were negotiating this, they said there was no Snyder Cut and Warner Brothers was never going to do a Snyder Cut. Right. And guess what? They've done a Snyder Cut. Yeah. Right. They're working on it. And now it's a series for HBO Max and all this other kind of stuff. So with that being said, I can't limit it to just ADR because they told us we weren't even getting this movie in the first place well, and I think lied. It I think it does come down to do because again, it's like that cost for Justice League was already written off. You know, they written that off, and True. this is a the loss. Whole, yeah, that this fiscal is, year, right? Right, and this is a whole new kind of division or whatever. So they have like whatever their budgets are, and if you think about it, I mean, what you're saying does make sense if they choose to truly go at it like a series. Because for them, twenty or thirty million to do a like a limited run series that's got a built in audience, it's worth it. And if they want to spend like, because how who knows how much? Or I'm sure you know, but like, how much these uh, shows on Netflix and stuff for one season of eight or ten episodes, how much they spend on those? So it would make sense. Uh, and again, like, if that's the way they decide to do, which I do think would make sense, because then they could spin it off and do essentially turn the Zack Snyder justice league into a series in a way like a right. limited series, have it and run this out and then go into the dark seed or whatever, uh, the, story. The, well, and that's the thing. There was some other, uh, things thrown out there that, th that they may drop nuggets within this thing to get Henry Cavill to man of steel too. I mean, that would be awesome. Like Hello. I would love to see a man of steel. Hello. Too. Uh, the the Green Lantern and the Flash, you know, Cyborg's going to get fleshed out more because yeah. remember they were going to do a Cyborg movie. They were going right. to, all of it got help, but this could literally, and Cyborg may not be a feature film. They may spin it off into Cyborg's series because at this point they've got all the bugs worked out, the, the CGI, they know, they know the models, what, what this, and if they start doing like they're doing with uh, all the DC Universe stuff. Like the Stargirl yeah. special effects for the pilot was amazing. I don't know if you had a chance to see it. It blew away anything that was, that's was that been on the CW as far as visual effects. Well, yeah, because it was made for DC Universe. It was made for DC, so yeah. they spent more money. Same thing with Swamp Thing. My wife right. you know, was a producer's assistant on that. I actually worked on Swamp Thing on second unit um, in transportation. And... Yeah, $85 million they spent on that because they didn't think it was going to be on TV. You know, they, they right. just didn't. They didn't think that, um, but I'm, I'm just pretty blown away by all the stuff that's coming out. And I, I'll be honest with you. You start seeing Ben Affleck working out again. 
But see, that's that's my thing. I the the one reason why I think it would be ADR is just the state of some of the actors. They might not. And again, they're not talking about airing this until twenty twenty one. But that but that suit that that Ben Affleck wore was a complete muscle fat suit. Anyway, it's like it right. wasn't him. Un- I mean, he didn't have to be buff underneath that. He but did he. Not. But Ben Affleck does not look like he did during Justice League right now. Like no, but you give you give him a few months to whip into shape if they got some holes to fill. You know who knows? Yeah, who knows? I'm with you. I think it would be a brilliant idea to turn that kind of like I've been saying, create their own. Well, I, and Wonder Woman screws up everything because Wonder, it's Wonder still Woman a hit and was it's still so out successful, there. and uh, you know, and Aquaman too. Aquaman one point three billion, I think. Right. right? So it's like they're kind of like the thing that's key because I feel like they would have rebooted all this by now if it wasn't for Wonder Woman and now Aquaman because yeah. of just the way the state of everything was. Like cancel it all, wait a couple years, and then come back out with a new take on it, which kind of feels like what they're doing now with like Joker and the Batman. And so it's sort of like what we were talking about last week. We're in this weird world where you've got two different sort of camps starting to overlap now and what happens like there it doesn't feel like warner brothers has a clear or dc has a clear direction to go yet well maybe maybe what we're looking at is the metamorphosis of two completely separate worlds one on hbo max that could spawn off all because hbo max is doing a green lantern series yeah they've already said that and if the green lantern character Again, if the Green Lantern character did appear in Justice League but was cut out, because there mm-hmm. was some in that one big battle, they showed them flying through the air in the, that big battle sequence with uh, yeah. um, uh, the bad guy. In that. Who was the bad guy in that one? Which movie are you talking about? The Justice League. The villain. Oh, it wasn't Dark Seed or whatever. It was, uh, I don't remember. Whatever the guy didn't care about him. And see, that's what's sad is that we don't even No, But I remember, I remember, I can see him in my head, but I know he had a name and I just can't remember the character's name. But, but when that battle was going on with, with, uh, uh, with all the, you know, Amazonian women and all, yeah. all the different factions were flying in, there were Green Lantern Corps there oh really i didn't see that you have to go back and I have watch, to watch the, it again watch the yeah. just look up in the clouds and shit you'll see the you know the the green flowing and then the yeah so mm. it's obvious that the plant the seed was going to be planted there so maybe there was you know whoever the character is going to be in the green lantern series on hbo max might be who they're bringing in to shoot scenes for you know and and then he would have to interact with somebody I mean, that would be a good way to launch the Green Lantern series to yes, have him show up. Is like, in the Snyder Cut. Because wasn't that end. initially the plan was to have, yeah, Green Lantern show up at the very end. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great idea. And I would love to see a HBO. That would keep me on HBO Max if they just started turning out movies um, or series, I mean, of the, the DC characters. And then, like, kind of do what DC or uh, Marvel's doing, or Disney Plus, and springboard those onto the screen in big features. And then we might even, if Gal Gadot or Gadot or whatever is uh, willing to do a, a, a streaming series, we might even get Wonder Woman as a series a little bit. That would be awesome. I I doubt it would happen, but that would be cool. It was it was Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf. That's it. 
And and I think, you know, when you, you talked about CGI and how they're going to go back and do, redo a lot of CGI, I think they're going to try to go back to that original Batman versus Superman when Steppenwolf showed up with the cubes and all that right. stuff and screamed and, and he Luther. looked like a he looked yeah. more like a, a warlock. Like he didn't look he didn't have a human form. Right. And I have a funny feeling they're going to go back to that and not stick with what they have. Although what they have was, I mean, it's already been completely fleshed out and realized. I don't, I mean, maybe they do stick with it. I don't Nobody know, really dug it. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, and even the actor that played him, I think they did mocap suit for some of it, or he voiced it. He said, he said nothing he did. He did so much better work when Zack Snyder was involved than when Joss Whedon was. And he said that character was not the character he signed on to play yeah. when it, when it was fully realized when they made it look more human. And I think maybe that was, you know, when Warner brothers was thinking it's too dark. Yeah. Um, we need to get away from that darkness. It looks like a demon. People aren't going to dig it. Let's go back. And, you know, you know, this is sort of brings up an interesting conversation of, so you've had two franchises that sort of, catered to what they thought the fans wanted and they kind of failed at that because justice league i mean clearly they you know you had fans like superman's too dark everything's so bleak and you know whatever so the idea at the last minute was to throw joss whedon in and like try to lighten it up and like in avengers like try to bring it some levity yeah and yeah and so Clearly, that didn't work because it's like, you know, we said last week, it's just two different uh, styles kind of coming together. And then we've seen that with the late, uh, last Star Wars film, uh, The Rise of Skywalker, where they kind of went too overboard with fan service and it hindered yeah. what probably could have been a better movie. Because I know we had talked about, and I don't think we've ever talked about it on the podcast, but like sort of there was a rumor that... Uh, George Lucas had an idea, and then the guy uh, who played uh, Doctor Who, um, Matt uh, Smith, was cast in that, and he was going to play a a bigger role, but then they kind of all changed it after The Last Jedi. Yeah. So, could you want to talk about that more? I mean, I don't even know if if it's a legit rumor at this point, but there was sort of that talk, because I remember we talked about it when it came out that initially... There was this quest that they had to go on to find this guy, and that was like the it changed completely. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean it's vague, it's vague, but I but I but I know like um there were more uh um uh with the rise of Skywalker there were more of those like MacGuffins. There were supposed to be more of the wayfinders, right. right? And you know I I mean it changed so much and and. You know, yeah, I mean, but I see what you're saying about the fan service with Rise of Skywalker and the fan service with Justice League. It's like um, you have to find that balance, you know, and then, uh, yeah. you know, you're seeing, you know, David Ayer, who did Suicide Squad. Now, apparently, like that movie was taken away from him and he didn't even get to edit and have a final cut on that film. Right. And uh, so now he's pushing for the air cut you know, uh, for his movies, asking Warner Brothers to let him redo Suicide Squad because he said the Suicide Squad everyone saw is not the movie he shot. I mean, but every director could say that at this point. Right. I mean, I think that's so a when do you slope. cut the when do you cut the legs yeah. out from underneath? You got James Gunn 
is doing Suicide Squad 2. He's probably going to take it to a whole new level. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I, I wouldn't, I mean, David Ayer, I, I don't think, you got. I mean, you had your shot. I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't carry the weight. Well, I think too, I mean, it's not like he had like this epic story and they messed it up. I do believe Zack Snyder had a fully realized vision, you know, when he made, he wrote this or whatever this, when they're playing to shoot justice league, he had a vision and I'm not saying David Ayer didn't have one, but he even admits like he wrote that in like a month or two, like he, they were rushing to get that into production. And so it was a really quick, so he defaulted to that, when everyone was complaining about the movie more uh, than, oh, they took the edit away from me or whatever. I heard more about, well, I only had a month and a half or whatever to write the script. So I kind of feel even if you got another cut, it's going to be what it is because the yeah. story wasn't that great to begin with. So yeah. even if you you know cut it up a little bit and make it a little jazzier, it's still going to not be a great movie at yeah. the end of the day. I mean, to me, Will Smith saved that movie. I know everyone loves uh, Margot Robbie, and she was great as Harlequin, um, but all the scenes of Will Smith, awesome. Like he did such a great job, and he's not in the next one. Yeah, I mistake. I think. Yeah, I wonder why. I mean, I, who knows? With Will Smith, he might be like, uh, I'm not. You know, well, I do. I do remember. Maybe reading, he didn't want to work with James Gunn. Well, I remember reading he was really off-put by uh, the uh, guy playing Joker. Uh, what's his name? Um, oh, Jared Leto? Jared Leto, because he was doing oh, weird because shit. Because he would leave dead animals on there. Well, like, yeah, like, he's mailing then, yeah. them weird shit. And like, yeah. it got to the point where like Will Smith even said, like, I didn't like the dude. Because he was just trying to be joker 24 7 like super right method. He was method actor yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and so it probably like man fuck this shit i ain't working with these crazy ass fools <laughs> like i'm sure he was just like why why even go into that so but that sucks because he really was one of the the shinier parts of that movie was all the scenes of will smith yeah and he was the only one that had an arc because he had a daughter in it and all right. that stuff yeah i mean he 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 was the only fleshed out character and of course you know me i'm not a fan of Jai Courtney, Jay Court, whatever you want to call him, the yeah. really bad, Austra- the, the, the best role he's killer. ever done, the franchise killer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he killed, um, he killed the Terminator with Terminator Genesis. <laughs> well, I think uh, more than him. He killed uh, Die Hard with uh, yeah. the, that last Die Hard, Die Another. <laughs> d- what was it? And a Good Day to Die Hard was the name of the movie. Up, Get the fuck. I don't even think I watched that one. That was terrible. That was terrible. It was an absolutely terrible movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, Suicide Squad. I wasn't a fan. You know, I I just wasn't a fan. It just I don't know the Suicide Squad. I didn't know the characters. I just I just wasn't a fan. So I, well, I never, even if they made a even if they made the David Ayer cut, I would skip it. Why well, never th- collected those characters? Don't have the weight of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. They don't. They just don't. Well, for me. I never really read the. I never really collected that comic or anything. But I, my only real experience with them was watching Arrow, which I'm sure wasn't faithful to the comic, but I enjoyed the Arrow version more than the movie version. Well, because they could flesh it out. Right. Well, they had more going on with the, the With characters. the TV series. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, Indiana Jones 5. We've talked about it before, but some news broke. Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy's husband, 
who, uh, you know, Kathleen Kennedy is one of the greatest producers of all time. Yeah. And uh, Frank Marshall, again, uh, one of the greatest producers of all time. All the Bourne films, which I'm a fan of those. I didn't see the one with... Uh, I like him. He does good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, Indiana Jones 5. Uh, you know, they're... they're, they're you know, it was a it was asked to them like when are they going to get into production because it got pushed blah blah. We got the COVID nineteen going on, and you know he said an off the cuff kind of thing like, well, you know, we're not going to have craft service going forward. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Crazy. And I work in the film industry, and first of all, you'd kill two positions: the craft service and craft service assistant. So mm-hmm. you'd kill two jobs doing that. Second of all, we work 12, 14 hour days, sometimes eighteen hour days, and you're going to give us one meal after six hours. No, yeah. no, never going to happen. So crafty is probably not going anywhere. They're going to probably do everything single packaged, uh, to c- contain germs. They just won't be cheese spreads or, or anything that people can grab a spoon and, and scoop stuff out and put it on their plate. But like when you have 200 crew members working on a show, especially like a cross continent show, like yeah. Indiana Jones, where it jumps from continent to continent. And you're not feeding your people. What is the one thing when we've produced projects in the past, independent projects? You have to have food. Yeah, got to feed. A happy crew is a fed crew. You want to make your cat. You make sure you have hot coffee available twenty four seven. You people could say, "Oh well, you know it's spoiled. They're spoiled. All these Hollywood. (laughs) No, dude. Like food. When you're working twelve, fourteen hour days, sometimes seventeen, eighteen hour days, you have got to have coffee. You've got to have food around. Uh, to take these mini breaks, um, you know, you can't not feed your people. So I just, I call bullshit on Frank Marshall. I think he was just throwing something out there to see if it would stick. It's not an expensive department. Well, no, but I mean, crafty tends to be the fun part of being on a set because that's usually where everyone kind of, everyone's doing their job, being busy, and then they'll usually come in between setups if they have time to grab something to eat. And you can shoot the shit and kind of, you know, like talk about what's going on, you know, yeah. real quick. While you're Department heads so will get together and discuss a shot that's coming up while they grab right. coffee and while they grab. Yeah, dude, it's like a it's it's such a thing. Yeah. People and don't get like, it because like unless you work for Google, I know your your wife, your wife used to work for Google. Yeah. They have cafeterias. They feed their oh, people. Yeah. It's nice. they, they, in San Francisco, they have buses that pick you up and bring you to work. You can bring your laundry. You can bring your kids. They have laundry. Your, your bags of clothes are folded for you when you get out. Uh, you, your kids have daycare. They want you to live and breathe Google. They don't want you to. I saw a documentary on it. Yeah. It's insane. They don't want you to do anything but work at Google and only have Google on the mind. So they want all the little things in your life taken care of. Same thing with the film industry, but on a smaller level, they they take care of us big time on these shows. But the one thing that they do most is, and it's also like if you take a, a lunch break, a 12 hour, you got a 12, 12 hour scheduled day, six hours after call, your first call, if it's 7 a.m., you take your lunch break, half hour. If you had to take 200 crew members and not feed them, not give them catering, and just say, leave the production lot, leave the location, go find food and come back, oh, and, and all you have is a half an hour. And sometimes... We're like an hour or two hours right. away in the middle of nowhere. Like yeah. if we were on, when I did Under the Dome, the uh, three factory. seasons for CBS, we're out at a barn, at a, at a, at a <laughs> farm in a barn that is 45, 
to an hour away from civilization yeah. in cornfields and you're going to tell 200 crew members to go find food it's bullshit like like the unions will come in and just be like no dude you got to take care you can't yeah. work somebody like a slave for 18 hours and not give them a, a donut it doesn't <laughs> i know it sounds trivial to people yeah. who don't work in the industry but most people work nine to five. Most people work 40 hours a week. We yeah. work 70 to 80, sometimes 100 hours a week. And in a six-month period, if we do a TV series, it takes about six months to do 10 episodes, 12 episodes. A feature film takes about six months. Uh, I'm just ballparking averages. Now, I remember Iron Man 3, when they shot, uh, uh, that was uh, 10 months, 65 shooting days, but a 10-month pre-production to wrap. Uh, anyway, make a long story short, film crew members work the, the same amount of hours a normal person works in a full year, 52 weeks at 40 hours a week. We do that in six months. Yeah. So in a year, if we've worked one show and if we do, if we do one TV show and one feature film, we've worked more hours than the average. We've worked two hour, two years of labor versus somebody who works one year at 40 hours a week. So when people are like, Oh, these film people don't work. No, dude, they, it's, it's slave labor, man. You have no life. You don't see your kids. You don't see yeah. your family. I know I'm going off on a rant, but the thing is like, it bothered me that Frank Marshall, who I love and I love Kathleen Kennedy, his wife said there would be no craft service. I think he's just, he was throwing some red meat out there to whoever was interviewing him. And, it's bullshit. It's not going to happen. You got to feed your people and take care of your people. But that brings me back to Indiana Jones five, James Mangold's yeah. the director. And another thing that just kind of absolutely blew my mind that Frank Marshall said was we're starting from scratch on the script. Yeah. Again. Yeah. David Cope, who wrote crystal skull, they brought him back. He wrote the first draft. Then it was passed over to Jonathan Kasdan, Larry Kasdan's son wrote solo right? Yeah. The Han Solo movie. He did a pass at it. Nap, nap, got passed off to Dan Fogelman after that, uh, uh, who wrote uh, the, sh the show This Is Us and uh, uh, Cars. The Pixar right. thing, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, and now James Mangold, I guess, is just, he wants to do, I just hope you don't pull a Ryan Johnson. Like, I have more faith in James Mangold than I do have Ryan Johnson, but now he wants to start from scratch and have a whole new script. Well, he gave think? us a great Logan movie. I mean, a Wolverine movie, you know, like, I mean, he gave us two great, I mean, honestly, the best standalone Wolverine movies were his, which was the Wolverine and Logan. So yeah. it's like, I mean, so I have faith that he'll do it. And to be and honest, he just did like Ford, Ford versus Ferrari. Which is and that amazing. was the one thing I gave props to is because like he really captured the 1960s and yeah. all, all the eras that they went through in that film, he captured them all. So he, so yeah. if this movie's, if the new Indiana Jones film, the last one took place in 53, you know, yeah. this one might be closer to 60. At least he understands the period close the period. Like he gets it. How are you going to do Nazis in the sixties? No, there won't be Nazis. I guarantee there oh, okay. won't be Nazis. It'll definitely be like, It'll be more like Temple of Doom, as far as the mm. villain will be some cult or some. I, it's gonna. Right. It's, you're just not gonna do Nazis. No way. Well, I have. I have to say though, I'm not sad to see Spielberg take a backseat because I'm I, not either. I do feel like Spielberg today isn't the Spielberg we grew up with, and I, 
a I great agree. example of that is I read the book Ready Player One. Amazing book that really pulls a lot of inspiration from uh, every Spielberg Spielberg's. Movie? Yeah, a lot of Spielberg's <laughs> movies. I mean, yeah. pretty much all of the 80s, you know, and like and, you know, I was the first person when he was brought on to direct the movie. I was like, oh, I don't know if that's the right move because he won't see it as a fan because he lived it. He made those movies. So he doesn't see it the same way we all do. And the Ready Player One was really a big I love you to the 80s kind of book. And yeah, it was the most unoriginal anything you could ever come up with. I mean, the guy, look, no offense. The book I saw, was great. I, the book and the movie. I'm sorry. I saw the movie. I didn't yeah. read the book, but let me tell you something. He took all the great ideas that came out in the 80s and he put it all into one story in a book. What the hell did he really come up with? Well, no, it's nothing. more about like nothing. I saw the movie. The book is way better because nothing. It ta- it's more at it. Like if I was to be that kid, it's like you're seeing it. It's like. You, it, you get to play it, it, with all the toys you grew up loving. Like, that's the thing that gets like, and it's true because if you created a re- virtual reality where you could be any avatar you want, you see it in games now. Everyone's Deadpool or something else. So, like, that's how people would be. They would be doing the things they loved. And, like, for us, I, you, look, you're I saying you wouldn't it, be Robocop if I, you couldn't? No, no. Well, all I'm saying is the guy didn't come up with anything original. In his story, he he literally picked everything that was I, successful in the eighties, and he made it into something in a book, and then it got bought up. Uh, do you can you imagine the rights that it would take? And I I heard Disney was like, no, they wanted Tie Fighters in it and stuff, and Disney was like, meh, right? We don't know. We're not playing that game because that's really what the guy did. Like I I understand it's got a special place in your heart that movie, and not I like mine. it too. I like I like the DeLorean car. I like the little, you know, it's had the the, the Night Rider thing on the front. I look, I get it. I get the Robocop. I get all the stuff. Right. But there it was the most unoriginal shit I've ever no watched way. in my life only because it literally stole from everything that was good in the first place. Same uh, you know how I feel about Stranger Things. Same thing. They just emulate everything that we love, the Goonies, Star Wars, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, ripping it off shot by shot. They ripped off shot for shot a scene from Back to the Future where the, the kid gets up and he's putting on his pants and he falls over. You put him next to the the when Marty McFly is getting up and trying to put his pants on and falls, it's shot for shot. That is not paying homage. That is stealing. I agree. And that's with you. how I've always felt, and that's how I feel about the uh, Ready Player One. I've always no, no, felt no. that way. I, it was it, that changed my mind. You need to read the book because it's totally not like that. But the thing, and I will agree with you about um, Stranger Things, especially the last season. Like they're straight up ripping off scenes, like the Shining moment with the toys. Yeah, and then close the, encounters the, with the toys uh, on the, the ground. Cheesy, ass terminator russian guy that they yeah. brought in which was and really i get dumb. that it's because it's the 80s they're trying to emulate it's the same right. thing it's like ready player one you're taking everything in the 80s no, and you're see, the difference it in one is movie they're copying that this pretty much says these things existed and i love them and so like because this was a great thing and i will say this was a cool part of the movie was anybody like as a kid i always wanted to see the delorean the flying delorean from back to the future doing cool shit. And if I could drive a flying DeLorean like that guy did, 
that is like nerd fantasy like crazy. I look, so, I love that the '66 Batmobile was in there, and they didn't have right. enough of it, right? No, so like, so so Mecha Godzilla was great, it, right? So you look at it like that. They're not copying '80s movies. They're literally taking elements from '80s movies to create new stories, which is like if you could take all these cool things from the movies you love and then make something fun out of it. That's what's awesome about it. That's what was great about the book. And so where the thing is like Spielberg for me, where he missed was it just got so vanillified to the point where it took the really cool aspects of the book and just watered it down so much to turn it into that movie. That is sort of like too much like an 80, like a Spielberg movie. And again, it's like, that shouldn't be done by Spielberg because Spielberg is would never be a fan of himself. And that's the point of those movies or that book was it's a fan of those movies. So it's like two different things. Like Stranger Things is a fan of those movies, but they're trying to copy them and rip them off in a way, you know, put it like for shot for shot they, kind of stuff. They they call it paying homage. Some right. people like me call it straight out stealing. Like, you know. Right, Chief Brody from Jaws, the truck, uh, Hopper's truck. I agree with that. The Hopper's yeah. outfit as sheriff is same as Chief Brody's. His deputies same as the deputies in Jaws. Like it is, it is to the point where it is ridiculously ripped off. Like not, not paying paying homage is in a scene in the sheriff's office having a mug in the background that says Amity, and that's right. it. That's a I paying agree. homage. Not stealing the car, stealing the outfit, stealing the costumes. That's not that's not that's not paying homage. That's ripping I agree. I, and that then that's what bothers me about some of that stuff. And yeah, now, now we we this was all we first started this all about James Mangold and we I were know, talking about the Indiana Jones. But I'm gonna circle back because this ripping off shit in the nineteen eighties, this goes right into something else I wanted to talk about later, which was and I'm bringing it up now, Pam Anderson. Whether you love her or hate her, whatever. She was did an interview and they asked her about the Baywatch movie. Did you see it? Did you see it? Yeah, yeah. She says I, it sucked. I didn't like it. The one with Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Zac Efron. Yeah, I never watched it either. Not and I like Dwayne. I did Journey to the Mysterious Island with Dwayne, uh, the Rock Johnson. So I got to see him and his crew and all that stuff when when I was working on that film. And uh, super nice guy, great to kids. Every time they'd come up to a barricade, he'd go talk to all the kids. You know, though they loved him as the wrestler. You know. Um, yeah. So I got no ill will towards the cast and crew of these films. I think what bothers me the most is like what happened with um, the Dukes of Hazard movie with Johnny yeah. Knoxville and Sean William Scott, uh, Green Hornet with Seth Rogen. Um, they, they take 80s or with the Green Hornet 60s uh, properties, these these cult properties like Baywatch and like Dukes of Hazard and like, and they turn them into complete raunchy comedies yeah. instead of like making a serious Baywatch movie about people rescuing people or making, or the Dukes of Hazard. Like they twisted that so much where that was a wholesome, good television show where the, you know, we could debate the Confederate flag all day long. That's not a, that's neither here nor there in this conversation, but I'm talking about like how, they, there was always a bad thing that happened, but they resolved it. It was all about family. Um, you know, they were trying the Duke, the Duke boys and uncle Jesse were never making moonshine because 
they'd he'd cut a deal with the government to keep the Duke boys out of out of jail um, to never make moonshine again. And so, like, there's all these moral, really nice elements to the Dukes of Hazard um, that they corrupted it so much when they made the they made the one movie and then the straight to video movie, the Dukes of Hazard two, whatever that was. Yeah, yeah. And it was just nothing but it was like they took American Pie with the TNA and all that stuff and they smashed it right into the Dukes of Hazard. Same thing with Baywatch. They just it's it's this over the top, gross out, sex. The like why do they need to take and that's why like I'm afraid like if they if they ever do Airwolf or they ever do Night Biter yeah. on a really good scale. Yeah. That they're just gonna spoof it. And I just think it's just why? Why ruin something that was really fun back then. Although, you know, you watch Knight Rider now, it doesn't hold up as well and things like that. And I think I had a discussion with my wife about that the other day, about how some of these movies we were, uh, she was watching MacGyver and could yeah. barely get through a couple of them with Richard Dean Anderson, the old oh, one. Oh yeah. It was cheesy as hell. But she said it was so good back then. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, you were like 11 and 12 and 13 and seeing him, you know, crack eggs in a radiator that was shot with bullet holes and it clogs, you know, cause it cooks the egg and, <laughs> Right. Uh, and the car can drive. I was like, those were, that was cool. I said, but the editing pace was different in the eighties. They didn't have steady cams back then. So everything was dolly track. And so everything had a, a, a different look and editing pace for television. That's not like it is it today. probably like, still edited real, like with film too. Film. It was probably yeah. shot super 16 and, and yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, like, it's not like, like we're used to this generation coming up used to seeing shows like 24, the shield, very handheld, you know, uh, steady cam work like constantly. Well, also the Everyone, editing changed dramatically when it went digital where you could do nonlinear editing. It was a game. So now you got the, like when you watch an eighties TV show or movie and watch one now it's night and day different in the edit, yeah. even though everyone still uses the basic cut and dissolve and fade to black, but just the way they're able to edit is so more dy such much more dynamic now than it was when they were probably just using reels of film and splicing it and cutting like they did back in the day. So and on yeah, TV, you, you, ba you, you barely ever see um, helicopter shot or drone shots. You know, they didn't have drones back then. They had helicopters and a helicopter right. shot was only usually an establishing shot because it was expensive right. to hire a helicopter, yeah. hire a pilot, hire the camera guy to hang out the side of the helicopter and do the shot. The equipment, so, the gimbal so systems. Now yeah. you throw up a small drone with a 4K camera on it and all you see now in movies are just drone shot after drone, oh, drone shot shots after drone all shots. Because that looks like production value, but you're not yeah. really spending it. Although some of the higher end drone operators, you have to have a focus puller that goes with the drone yeah. operator. And I'm sure most shows are using legit camera ops running drones and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but but also um, you take the insurance out of it when you're not flying a helicopter in the air with somebody right. who could could die. Oh, it's you, way you're cheaper. just sending up a drone. Yeah, um, and all that. Uh, let me circle back because we were talking about editing of it, but circle back to this this destroying of '80s properties. Well, by making them stupid comedies. What what do you think, man? Well, I think the first thing I remember doing that was Starsky and Hutch with Ben Stiller. That's right. That's right. And I remember thinking that's kind of odd. They went goofy with it, but yeah, because uh, I love Starsky and Hutch was a good show yeah. back in the day. Yeah, and I mean, and I I guess I was like, I guess I can see it because you know at the time Ben Stiller and uh, 
uh, Owen Wilson were like in all kinds of movies together. So I was like, yeah. oh, they just found another property. But I do, I remember kind of feeling like a little slighted that it was not taken more seriously growing up watching Starsky and Hutch. I was like, well, that's kind of weird. And then they kind of yeah, did it because with, you you could have made a really serious movie, right? Based on Starsky and Hutch. But also, kind of like what you're saying, when you go back and watch these shows, they are campy as hell. And that's like kind of what right. I was talking about with Star Trek: The Next Generation. Was when you watch that and compare it to what was out back then, it's and it, the fact that it holds up now is impressive, and how great of a show it was in '87 when you had. Tons of shows in the 80s, like, you know, Baywatch, or Baywatch is maybe more 90s, but, like, you know, had all these shows that were really campy. Like, I'm sorry, like, when you watch them now, you're just like, how did I yeah, think this was yeah. cool? Like, like night, but remember, I was, like, 11 and 12 when Knight Rider came out. So, to me, right. I didn't know what production value was. I was seeing a car oh, yeah. jump, and after Dukes of Hazard went away and was in yeah. syndication... This was the new thing. Was the sci-fi Dukes of Hazard? It was sci-fi Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So Guys, kids just, so, but boys. none of it holds up, man. The '80s television shows. I mean, even at least with Magnum PI, he he was a detective that could hold up. Yeah. Um, uh, Hardcastle and McCormick, not so much these yeah. days. It was just another way to get a car <laughs> in a show. Because yeah. people thought the cars are what makes the show. Make a car jump. If you can make a car jump and put it in a show, you had a hit on television. That's what Kids they were thinking. Kids like cool cars doing cool things. Like we were pretty merchandise. Well, and also like merchandise. People need to understand too. In the eighties, what their what the that environment was like. There was no internet. There was like you didn't have a ton of TV channels back then. You know, right. like we have now. So there was not a lot of content. So you were really just grasping at anything you could get that was somewhat cool. And so, like, for a kid, you know, cars jumping, stuff, it's cool. Kids today have no idea how good they have it. Like, there is just so much content out now that yeah. it's, like, it's crazy. And the production value on almost all of it is insanely good, like, movie quality, because of the technology is getting cheaper for, and, you know, they're able to move faster and do things better. But it's just, like... Like people just can't really appreciate it. Like the you can just be like everything in the eighties was stupid or you know it was written poorly or done dumb or whatever. But when you really go look at it, it's like there wasn't really anything going on back then as far as yeah just yeah. you had the the major networks was really the big three the big three NBC CBS and, Fox, and ABC Fox and wasn't a, around until later on in the 80s like uh cuz that's when and and their big thing was the Simpsons I mean cuz that's really what right. launched Fox. Yeah, Tracy Ullman show. Tracy Ullman show, yeah. Simpsons. Arsenio Hall and all that. Yep. yep. And I mean, that was definitely late 80s cuz I I feel like cuz Next Gen came Star Trek came out came on Fox. Yeah. And it was like uh I think that was one of the big draws to the network at the time. But oh, yeah, and it, it was by uh, the by the way, I just want to jump jump in real quick. Uh, today I watched um, season one, Next Generation episode. I think it was twenty five. The one where they found the people in the, they were going to the neutral zone, uh, uh, for the first time to right. interact with the Romulans. They found the satellite with the cryo people in there. The guy, the guy was like a the oil, oil man, the yeah, oil yeah. man, and or whatever. He wasn't yeah. oil man, but he was like a musician. His liver yeah, was yeah. yeah, and they had preserved themselves and they were brought back to life. And dude, it's such a good episode, man. 
And that was season one, which really season one, season one yeah, and two were yeah. not the best of that run either. Like, uh, especially season three. By the end of season three is when it's just clipping. And season five so far has probably been my favorite season just because it's the writing's just been insane on it. Yeah. Well, and, uh, well, let me, you know, it's funny because we've we've hit a lot of the stuff that I, I wanted to talk about, but we I got to go back to, <laughs> to Indy 5 and James yeah. Mangold. I mean, obviously, it's not going to get going until 2021. Yeah. So they've got another year to write. So this Harrison Ford will be 78 making the movie. And it won't come out till he's seven, maybe 80, 79, 80 of post. Who knows? Um, I think, I mean, Harrison should probably retire after this movie, I think. I and, and pull a Sean Connery and go out on stun. Because the last thing he wants is to have another, um, another movie that's just kind of a half- half-efforted kind of film right. that that is like uh what was that movie that sean connery did that he was league of extraordinary gentlemen and yeah and he was like i'm out that's after the one that, that one he was like one that, that killed his career in. yeah yep. and uh Third he was like always shit done <laughs> <laughs> um so as far as the script goes i mean i have faith in james mangold i have faith in frank marshall and kathleen kennedy is going to come back on board uh, to produce this film and uh, I, I keep her away. I, no, Hopefully she, she'll probably have all the free time after they don't renew her contract. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think she's going to transition anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but, but here's, here's something. Uh, 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 Josh Gad's been doing these things where he reunites these casts yeah. uh, uh, during the COVID-19 on his YouTube channel. He's got, you know, a couple million followers now and, Five million, I think, or something. And he did the whole cast of Back to the Future, and he asked him all these questions. I don't know if you watched that, but it was really good. And then he had the cast of the Goonies on, and then he had, you know, the actor was there who plays Short Round. Oh, you know, yeah. in the original film, Data. You know, he played Data, yeah, yeah. and um, Quan. I think that's his name. Uh, no, no, it's something else. He never um, really did anything after those movies, did he? Well, he he went off to college and mm. all this other kind of stuff. But see that the, here's the kicker: during that interview, he said he was getting back into acting and training and all sorts of stuff. And I was, and the minute he said it, I was like, Indiana Jones Five. You think he's gonna be in that? That could be cool. Or Goonies too. No, maybe, no, 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 no. Maybe Kathleen Kennedy happening. is realizing her time is done at Lucasfilm and is going back to Amblin Entertainment and going to do whatever. <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy, you know, worked on Temple of Doom. Well, she was Spielberg's person, like, because she was She with was her him. assistant on, yeah, on Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, but, right, but, like, she was with him more than Lucas, I think, and then right, sort of jumped right. on the Lucasfilm and then betrayed him like a Sith Lord and then, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Turn his his franchise into shit, but yeah, you know. But but so let but her here go you back go. over there. Here, here you go. Now she's gonna bring it back full circle with data yeah. or with a uh, uh, short round. Or Goonies too. I don't think Goonies two is happening because Dick Donner is like ninety, no eighty, eighty something. He wouldn't direct it. He's they no, he he it. he wanted to do it, but. I just I don't think you can find a compelling story better than One-Eyed Willie and the and the ship coming out at the end. You can't make another one. And it'll all be CG and it won't be practical effects like the original. It's just 
you leave the Goonies alone. There's certain things yeah. you got to leave alone. I'm with you, but I don't trust Hollywood these days to not re you know give us something we don't want and you know try to market it up on our nostalgia. So yeah, I, well I'm well and again it's like you know we've I've said this before but all the new Star Wars toys are. Empire Strikes Back, the new Black Series, is all Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. So if that tells you anything, no one wants Rise of Skywalker figures. No one wants Last Jedi figures. No one wants Force Awakens figures. They want original trilogy figures, period. That just, if if that doesn't just scream yeah. where yeah, all Kathleen the good Kennedy stuff did was, an amazing job. I don't know what else does. Like, she just didn't do a good job with the marketing of the toys. No, she um, didn't do a good job with any of it. All right, so we've had- She just four, lucked we're, into we're, a couple of good films. We're on our fourth writer for Indiana Jones five. And you know, this is the same in... cluster that they had with uh Crystal Skull. You know, for years, like Frank Darabont, you know, who did Walking Dead, he wrote a draft. Yeah. And it was supposed to be so good, his version of what Crystal Skull was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the script's out there online, you can find it. There was a biplane fight and all sorts of like crazy stuff that went on. And you know, they shelved it and went with, you know, with whatever David Cope had written at, at that point. But um, but there there might have been four or five writers that cranked out Indiana Jones movies in the in the 15 years between the last one and and 2008's Crystal Skull. I don't know, man. I just uh, we're on our fifth, fourth, fifth writer for this. For I this have thing. faith. I, I have faith in him because, I mean. So far, he hasn't seen anything that I haven't liked. And the fact that, like, how you could come from Wolverine Origins, you know, and really turn it around, because that really, that movie was trash. Like, that director, he even now to this day still tries to defend it. You did a horrible job. Like, you knew jack shit about comic books, and you went and tried to, like, reinvent it in some stupid-ass way. That's like that's it. Yeah, like what he did that... to Deadpool, it's so dumb. And it's uh don't even get me started on that movie. But like I loved when I saw the Wolverine outside of the third act, like where it went to Silver Samurai and that got hokey. But up until that point, that was a solid Wolverine movie. Oh yeah, and, hands down. And, and then Logan finally we got to see which kind of sucks because we didn't see Wolverine in his prime, but we finally got an R-rated Wolverine who could really oh, be Wolverine. Dude, like that the beginning first scene. with the, when the, when they were trying to jack the car, and I he's know, just right through the skull and then come That's out the, the top. comic oh, books. Dude, That's the I know. Like, I was going nuts. I was like, oh my god, this is just like the comics. It's great. <laughs> and uh, but it, unfortunately, he's all broken and old and shit, so we don't get to see him like amazing. We got to see Weapon X though. Well, I mean. Briefly, kind of, yeah, kind of. But I mean, so that's where I'm like, thank you, James Mangle. You gave me the Wolverine that I really wanted to see all this time. So I do feel like he has the sense to understand the fan base and not fuck it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and not he screw it understands over. period pieces. Yes, yes. <sighs> I just gotta hope he gets it right, man. I think because because th- this has to be Harrison Ford's Logan. It has to be. Yeah, and that's what's funny. You've been saying that forever, and they got James Mangold. So that's all I've been saying. So yeah. I, uh, I wanted to do I wanted to do a shout out um, to uh, Christy Kwan, who um, I worked with. She was the production coordinator on Journey to the Mysterious Island uh, mm-hmm. that I worked on. Um, 
uh, Voyage LA Magazine, uh, which is an LA city guide, did a, a an expose on her, and uh, she has just after she finished Journey to the Mysterious Island, she went on to do the Avengers as production coordinator, um, and then <laughs> she did uh, <laughs> yeah, just a small gig. <laughs> And then she goes on, you know, she did House of Cards for 13 episodes before she jumped on um, Transformers Age of Distinction. And then she got hooked with the Michael Bay thing there. So she did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and then Warner Brothers uh, or uh, uh, the Disney, the Mouse House sucked her up. She did uh, Captain her. America Civil War. She did Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and then sucked right back into Michael Bay, uh, th that with Bumblebee. Um, uh, but she stepped it up, uh, and, and now she's, um, production supervisor and she did, uh, the LA unit for Mulan, which, which has been delayed, but it's coming out. She did the LA unit for Black Widow, which is, is been delayed and coming out. And she was the production supervisor on Top Gun Maverick, which, Super you know, excited for we are so, but dude, I'm excited for Mulan, Black Widow, and Top Gun, and then she did Civil War, yeah, and and I got to work with her on Journey to the Mysterious Island, and that was 2011 when we shot that. Wow, it didn't come out till 2012. So I've known her for a long time. Uh, Voyage LA Magazine, a great article if you want to hear about someone's career, um, where she started from, and 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 how far she's come and how she's just kicking ass and taking names and then working with Tom Cruise with these planes. I mean, to be a production supervisor, it's a hard job because, yeah. and even a production coordinator, you're kind of the, at that point, you're the brain of the whole operation. Everybody reports to you yeah. with their needs and you have to, and as a production supervisor, you have to make creative decisions and financial decisions. And like, it's, 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 it is not the position uh, everybody's cut out for. But the beauty about Christy Kwan, which is why I love her so much, is um, she has such a temperament, an absolutely beautiful temperament, even keel. She doesn't lose it. She, you know, and, and uh, you know, if the shit hits the fan or anything like that, I mean, she is just so even keel and she understands creatives cause she is a creative. Um, she understands, she understands the process of right. how to make films. Um, and to see her career just keep skyrocketing is just fantastic. And so if, if I'm going to, we'll put the link in the description below for the, uh, uh, voyage LA magazine, uh, to check out this article guys. Um, cause Christy Kwan's a, a rock star. So, I wanted to talk about that uh, and just give her a shout out. Uh, also, um, my wife and I uh, watched, she said to me, she's like, I haven't seen the prequels. Oh, really? <laughs> so we started, I said, okay, she wants to watch all the Star Wars movies every Monday night. Oh. So we started with The Phantom Menace. She did not like Jar Jar Binks at all. Who does, man? And I, I, you know, I explained to her about the backlash that Ahmad Best got, and he almost committed. There was an article that came out about him yeah. being depressed, and the fans went after him, and he, he almost committed suicide, and all this kind of stuff. And I felt really bad, but it, it goes back to what you said about Spielberg making a movie like if Spielberg's not 
the guy he was back then. Okay. One of the things that I pointed out to my wife as the movie Phantom Menace was playing on was at this point, Lucas was not the guy who made the original Star Wars or American Graffiti. He had metamorphosed into an older man and he had two adopted kids at at that point, his son. Right. And his daughter, who his daughter was in the movie, he put her in the movie, and his son was little. And I remember in the behind the scenes thing when uh, his son was brought into the creature shop where they had the maquettes, the little creatures or something, you know, that they make when they design. And when he first saw Jar Jar Binks, the the kid, I don't know how how, how old he was. He was a toddler, I guess. And he said he pointed at it and went gun 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 gun, and so. The story goes, uh, I, I, if I'm getting it correctly, that that's where Lucas was like, well, I guess we're calling it a Gungan. Yeah. And and I tried to explain to my wife, I said, I said, this movie was made more for children than the original Star Wars was because at that point, Lucas right. was making a fairy tale for children, but from the perspective of a 25-year-old. Plus, you know, the first movie, Star Wars, had a lot of the Vietnam War was going on. There was a yeah. lot of... So it was a different time, although, you know, you could say in the 90s and all that stuff, you know, uh, there were things going on too that reflected in it because, you know, the, and the first movie is so heavy with the Senate and you know the galactic republic and the so. federation and the, there was a lot yeah. of politics in it but um you can tell with the gungan fighting the, the the all the scenes with them and the blue balls and and jar jar stepping in poop and all like yeah. it was not it was not made for you know it was made like he made a movie for his kids to watch because and, at that point he's a father so the same thing with spielberg like spielberg yeah Making an Indiana Jones movie now is not the same guy that made it the Indiana Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's just right. a different, his mind is in a different place because he's pushing 80 now, right? Spielberg's like 70 something, right? Oh, shit. Is he? I didn't know that. Yeah. I think so. I think, I, um, I think so. But, um, uh, uh, um, he's gotta be 60s, man. Really? He can't be 80. Cause they were, would, he had to have been in his mid 20s in the 70s, right? Well, he shot Jaws in 75. He was 26 years old. Spielberg, 73. Okay. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I tried to explain to my wife. I said, you know, you have to take the nuggets. And she really, she she did not want to, she almost didn't want to finish the movie. And I said, no, no, no. Just wait for Darth Maul to show up. Just wait. I had to keep telling her, watch the Darth Maul stuff. You know, because that is, and of course we're all watching on Disney plus. So thank God they replaced Yoda with the CGI Yoda and didn't have the puppet in there from the original release because that puppet was so bad. That would have killed her from watching the other ones. I think. Oh, really? Um, I don't even remember. Oh yeah. They replaced the puppet that the original Yoda puppet that was in it. And, um, you know, she didn't understand the Metachlorian thing. She didn't understand that like, uh, the whole, you know, Shmi Skywalker was, uh, it was a virgin birth, you know, there was no father. It was just created in her. It was like, uh, you know, the chosen one, the, the godlike figure, you know, is my son and all this kind of stuff. I had to explain a couple of things like that. Cause she just, it was just too, too much, you know, that the pod, you shouldn't have to. Yeah. You shouldn't have to. Yeah. But again, I, I think, you know, Spielberg always, you know, pushing the envelope with CGI and all this kind of Lucas. His 
or Lucas, his yeah. mind was in a different place and he was thinking about his kids and wanting to make a movie his kids would like. And I think at that point where in the original one, the original films, he didn't realize the toys were going to make him, you know, $4 billion in sales yeah. over all that time. And this one was like, we're making toys now. Cause yeah, yeah. I know what it did back then. And I remember that no one right. knew the toys were going to sell and now we're making toys. So I just think he was in a different place and, um, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. We're man, watching, I... we're going to watch the attack of the clones next week. And that one, you know, the whole, well, it's funny. One Kenobi with a mullet is going to be hard for her to watch. But... <laughs> After we talked about, um, you were saying you should watch the last two episodes of Clone Wars. So I did, and that was really good. And the part with Vader yeah. at the end. Was yeah. Really I would love to see a show in that kind of animation at the end of Vader and the lost years of him. That would be amazing. Well, but, you, um, you, you got to watch Star Wars Rebels because he's in a whole arc of, of the season. Then I'll I'll check that out. So I went yeah. back and started and watching. And it's James Clone Earl Jones Wars. doing the voice. They brought him back. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I'll definitely check that out then. But I went and watched uh I had I'd watched the first episode of Clone Wars a long time ago and it just was like, oh, I can't get into it. But I just jumped to the second episode and then I started watching it and I was digging it. So I was like, I actually and I dig this now. So I get why everyone's all excited, you know, loves the Clone Wars. Um, it's just the pilot for whatever reason didn't like, like pull me in. Yeah. But the writing and the storytelling on that, I would rather watch that than the prequels. Cause we did the same thing. Like how, uh, my wife and I went to watch the, um, the, you know, all the star Wars movies again. I just remember like, we didn't even watch Phantom Menace. Uh, cause I was just like, Ugh, I can't even do that movie. Granted after Dave Filoni breaking it down, I will go watch it again just to really see all the stuff he pointed out. But I just remember, even on Revenge of the Sith, I was just like, can we just say we watched it and move on? Because I just, I can't, I can't get into the prequels because they're so heavy in the politics and all, which is so friggin' boring. Because in the first, in The Phantom Menace, all you're waiting for is more of uh, Darth Maul. Darth Maul. You just want to see Darth Maul. Yeah. That's what you want to see. And more Jedi's doing Jedi shit. You want Jedi's doing Jedi shit? You want this? I don't want to watch a child being like who I'm sorry the kid wasn't a great actor and like, you know, Jake Lloyd, yeah. Yeah, Jake, yeah. I'm sure he's better now, but I mean just back then like the lines were just kind of cheesy and then I couldn't I just couldn't get into it, man. Again, I appreciate it more after listening to Dave Filoni uh break it down, but I just I can't I can't do it, man. And then like it's funny because my wife kept pointing out when you get to Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith that, especially Attack of the Clones, Hayden Christensen or whatever looks like he's trying to rape her the whole time. <laughs> if you look at his face, he's just saying things like a serial killer, like like a stalker. It doesn't look like a true romance happening. It looks like an obsessive person, like giving rapey face to this chick the whole time, and you're just like. <laughs> What the fuck is going well, it was, on? You know, like, it's funny because like when, when we watched uh, The Phantom Menace today um, and at the end when Jake Lloyd's standing there in his little Jedi outfit with a little crop top and they gave him the little braid coming down or whatever, whatever it was. And he looks over at 
Padme or the Queen Amidala, and she's clearly like ten years older than him or whatever. Yeah. And he he gives her this smirk, and then she gives him this look, and I'm like, yeah, I was like, hey, what a pedophile! Like this one, this <laughs> this girl's after this little boy, and it was yeah. real like. Like their relationship in the film was very older sister, younger brother. Right. But it was kind of like this weird, like that end shot was like, dude, she's like smiling and he's giving her the smirk. Like, I'm going to get you later. Yeah. And he's like nine years old. But I think it, I, again, it was that, weird. as much as I love Lucas and you know, I've told the story about when I, when I got to meet Lucas on the set of a movie and all that stuff, I, I just, you know, a lot of times his directions are, faster or slower and that's about it like he he hires the best actors for the job like you get liam neeson to play qui-gon you expect him to just bring that performance you know and from what i understand he saw natalie portman in the professional yeah and wait waited till she was old enough to play padme amidala before he started what going down the rabbit hole of making the phantom menace and making the new trilogy he was like i gotta have this girl she is my princess leia mother i gotta have this girl but she's too young i gotta wait a few years and he waited for her to get older they should have had them close to the same age the the big gap was just too the gap weird. was it was weird yeah and then, and then of course like in attack of the clone she's like oh you've grown you're not the little yeah. boy i remember on tatooine and he's like he gives her rape face he's I like know, rapey face like <laughs> you know like you're just like, yeah. dude, because if you go back and watch that movie and just watch how he stares at her, it's like you can't tell if he's planning on how he's going to kill her, eat her, or love her. You know, It's like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, I don't get it. Like, that doesn't uh, look like love. I don't look at my wife like that. If I did, she'd probably run out of the house <laughs> thinking I was about to kill her. So it's just like, I don't get it, man. I don't get it. Uh, it's, yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean. Don't, I, I think it's like I've said, I think George Lucas is a visionary. Like he put, he knows how to push technology. He knows how to tell great stories. I just don't think he's a great director. And I, I, yeah, that's yeah. my big thing. I mean, cause to me, the, my favorite two star Wars movies were the two he didn't direct, which was yeah. empire and Jedi. empire strikes back and return of the Jedi. Yeah. And that's not to take away from George Lucas. I mean, the guy has a vision and a great story. It's just, and again, he, Irvin Kirshner was his uh, teacher his from teacher. film school. Yeah, film so school. If, so of course he was, you know, amazing as a director in there. And and it seemed like it was a very like going back and looking at behind the scenes of that, it was a very chill set in a way where he was spending a shit ton of time with the actors and focusing on performance. Yeah, and, and I then, think when you I think that when you hear Irvin Kirshner tell a story about locking. George Lucas out of a soundstage because he was right. tired of hearing him, you know, over his sh- shoulder, you know, like telling him right. and he just, and they locked him out. I don't know if that's a true story, but he might've been bloviating a little bit. But I think that's sort of the best relationship with Lucas is let him produce and oversee it and let someone else come in and really, di- you know, deep dive with the actors and get the performances out of it. And like, Again, like going back to Clone Wars, uh, seeing the Ahsoka character and really, you know, that for me does a lot better job of understanding Anakin than any of the prequel movies. For me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And just that few episodes I've seen, I already get that sort of dynamic with them and how important I, I can see her character becoming. Because it was, I have to say, even not knowing anything, it was moving at the end when 
Vader walks up and picks up her lightsaber, and then you kind well, of think of this whole history. Because then the question is, where's that lightsaber? Right, but I mean, for me, just thinking of it like this person was his, you know, pupil who they had. A, I imagine just from the many seasons they had a really tight, close relationship. And it is and, if you if you go back and you watch, it's real tight. Yeah. So you and so like so it's kind of weird that you know she's never mentioned in the movies, which it makes sense in the original trilogy because he's suppressed all of that. But I mean, I thought it was, and even you could almost feel vader reflecting for a moment on it like you could almost see a hint of like like he was remembering her in a positive way because the way he looked at it and he didn't just toss it like she did because she threw it at the end was like i'm i'm done with this you know yeah yeah he took it with him so it's like he clearly cared about her still even when he was fucking people up in the galaxy so i mean i i felt that that was very moving and I was like, man, That's there, there's there's a scene uh, in one of those one of those one of the seasons of Rebels where she actually Osaka fights Darth Vader. Oh, doesn't really? know who he is. And there he knows who she is. She don't know who she he is. And then uh. she splits open his mask and you see half his face. And then she realizes she looks his eye and she goes, Anakin. And oh, uh. and, it, so- and it's still. You you have to you gotta watch How it. How does that just, work then in the timeline? Is this season seven happen in between some of the other seasons then? The 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 season seven leads up to when Osakatana you know, they, they bury the dead. That's right during Revenge of the Sith is going on. So when when Anakin is on Mustafar fighting Obi Wan, that shit's going down with Yeah, because you could hear like the dialogue as she's or one of them is meditating on the in the force and they can hear the fight right. going on. Right, yeah. right, right, right. So so then flash forward the planet that she had crashed on turns to ice. At that point, when those are Imperial stormtroopers, not Yeah, yeah, I knew it was clones. a time jump. Yeah, it was a time the- jump, but you could you could you would you could assume that that is during the time when Darth Vader is ruling the galaxy at that point. Well, that's the way prior I prior to it. a new hope. Right, it looked like right around New Hope because he had the red eyelets in the lenses. That's and, the tell. And the the droids in the background and everything looked like from, you know, that era of Star yeah, the, Wars. Yeah, the 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 uh the droid doing Imperial the probe droid. It looked yeah. like nah, from nah, Empire Strikes nah, Back. Nah, yeah. Nah, 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 nah. yeah. So it looked like one of those. So I was like, "Oh, so we've jumped ahead because the ship looked old, and you know, it was, right, it was right. in the snow and all that." So I assume I I got that it was a time jump, but I guess I'm just trying to figure out if she fought him. When did that happen? It, did it happen in Clone Wars or did it, it happen? It happened in Rebels. Oh, okay, okay, that makes more yeah. sense. Yeah, Star Wars Rebels, and that that again, dude. You watch the first episode of Star Wars Rebels, you'll be hooked on the whole show. Well, I'm now going through Clone Wars because yeah, I was impressed yeah. with the second episode and Star Wars Rebels is so cool because there are there, you know there were Jedi throughout the galaxy that heard the Order sixty like and then what's really cool is in in Rebels you'll you'll hear remember Obi Wan in uh, Revenge of the Sith closes the thing looks to Yoda and goes I sent the message yeah out to the remaining Jedi and Yoda's like I hope they hear it or whatever. They show the the hologram of what he said to them, and he uh, says, 
it goes on this whole diatribe about, and so like they're all aware of what's going on if there's any of them left, and there are some left. Um, yeah. But it's but but Ahsoka Tana's voice was in the Rise of Skywalker. She was one of the voices that said Rise, Ray. So she's dead. So well, she's dead. <laughs> apparently, but yeah. we don't know what her story was. And if she's going to be in the Mandalorian, that means she yeah. survived everything. All the, but, well, but she again, has 30 years to, <laughs> but also funny, yeah. remember she put the, put the, the light lightsabers down and walked away. Right. So, so she won't yeah, have I a mean, lightsaber. That kind of sucks. So, I mean, kind of going back to, um, what all that kind of means is like, I actually enjoy the clone wars story more than I do the prequel films because the prequels just focus so heavily on the politics part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the part where I was just like, and I remember watching that in the theater and just being like, this is so boring. Like this shit is boring. Like all, I mean, even now watching it again, I'm just like wanting to fast forward to just the Jedi, the fun parts because and I think that's what was – like, because the thing with the original trilogy, I don't know. It's weird. I don't know how to say this. It, not that it felt more personal, but it was more human stories. Like, you have this this group it of people It wasn't focused on the, on the visual effects. Right, which clearly was the main focus of the vi- the, the visual effects were a tool to tell the story, but not the story. And right. in the prequels, the visual effects were the story – and the story was kind of, and the acting was, everything was a little flat. Yeah. And I get yeah. that, but, but, and it, it was convoluted with the politics, man. It got to be so much. Cause like, as soon as Palpatine came on, you know, Amy looks at me and goes, I thought he was bad. And I'm like, well, yeah. it, it gets there. That's the whole, I haven't, she'll figure that out in the, in the attack of the clones and all, and the revenge of the Sith. She knows he's the emperor because she watched the prequel, tr- she watched the sequel right. trilogy and she's watched the original trilogy. So she knows he's the bad guy, but she, you know, it's like, but everything with the Senate and you have to vote and an up down and, 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 well, I and think a vote the, no confidence. And I mean, it's just like, uh, I think uh, the politics kind of could have worked if it wasn't also trying to be a kid's movie at the same time. I think that's where you've just got, oh, it's like weird... it was trying to give the adults something to latch yeah. on to. But again, that was another movie like the Phantom Menace as I was watching it today. And I haven't, I don't, I don't watch those movies all the time, yeah. obviously. Um, but there were things that I saw that were, you know, clearly, you know, fan service, like the Tuscan Raiders yeah, were yeah, up yeah. on the ridge shooting and they're like, rrr, rrr, yeah. rrr. and you're like, okay, that's a throwback to 77. Yeah. So Lucas did a lot of those things peppering in too. Oh yeah. Um, uh, well, the fact that Anakin created C-3PO. Like, everything was on, too man. convenient. Right. It was all too convenient, you know, and then, oh, and then it's the way the kid Jake Lloyd delivered some of those lines like, sorry, I can't fix you, 3PO. And I I, I haven't put your covers on you, but, you know, mom will take care of mom. I'll see you. It was like it it was like, what? Like, really? And and the line is like. my name's Anakin and I'm a person or however he said. (laughs) Right, right, right. It's just. Yeah, and but yeah. I think you know the kid. You know, it is what it is, man. We can't yeah. go back and. Well, fix that's it, the but... director's fault, not the kid's fault. Yeah, because he was good day. in Jingle All the Way. Yeah, I mean, I, oh, I didn't realize that was him. Yeah, I mean, He's he hasn't him. done a lot of work, yeah. and even since then, because I mean, he was diagnosed, you know, bipolar, and mm. you know, was arrested for running from the cops in a high speed chase, and all this. his mugshot is all over the internet, and people mm. need to give that kid a break, you know, cause he's, yeah. he's had a tough time and, and, um, 
and but now he's doing cons again and he's got his life back and you know he's making his money doing cons so i i, I hope he him. gets a re i don't know why you know people like lucas and they don't reach out to people like that that have a tough time and Say, well, it's kind of my fault. I kind of screwed you there, kid. You know, yeah, like, yeah. let me let me do something where they give you a job at Lucasfilm. You know, I don't know. Yeah, Especially it's kind of like what, it's kind of like what what Will Wheaton's doing now with Star Trek. He's the host of that show. You know, that's like, hey, they're bringing him back in the fold because I still think we're going to get him as Captain of the Enterprise. That would be uh, awesome. But we'll see. Okay, so I just one other thing is that uh, Blumhouse, Jason Blum, they're doing Spawn. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they just came off, you know, uh, uh, Invisible Man, which hit pay dirt. They made a ton of money off Invisible Man. And um, they're actively doing Spawn. Um, uh, they're talking about Jamie Foxx. Now, Jamie Foxx, hmm. you know, he was in that Spider-Man movie as the, the lightning guy. I didn't uh, think they he did screwed too... that up. Electro, yeah. yeah, that was horrible. I didn't like Trash. him as a. Ele- I didn't like it, the electro. It just looked weird. It just looked like see... a monster. It was so weird. Like yeah, yeah. But I mean, you've always been a McFarlane fan, right? I'm a diehard McFarlane. Like, <laughs> like his run on Amazing Spider-Man, like Tom McFarlane, is one of the things that pulled me into the comic book. Him and Jim Lee were my two favorite comic book artists. Uh, uh, Amazing Spider, like his his run on Amazing. Uh, Spider-Man is iconic. Like the covers that he did and all that stuff is amazing. Well, so, so when it when it comes to Spawn, I mean, I know they've done a couple animated things. They did the the movie with John Leguizamo in '97. Yeah, with Michael J. White. Michael J. White. Yeah, and yeah. um, he's actually in really good shape. Like, if they really wanted to, you want to get the fans buzzing, you, you could bring him back. But I liked him. But you're gonna I, go with you're gonna go with uh, Jamie Fox, like. Well, I mean, I think I mean Jamie Fox doesn't know martial arts like like he's a well, real. Well, it's all CG. They're, okay, well, now once he's got the mo-cap. cape and all that, they're gonna mocap. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So that'll be some martial artists, kind of like what they're doing with Mandalorian. Like, there's three different people that are the Mandalorian. You know the. Guy who can oh, right, fight the amazing. gallery, the gallery. We forgot to talk yeah, about the gallery. Saw, yeah, yeah, the gallery where they broke down like how they did it, and it was three different people. So I think you could easily pull off Spawn like that. And I loved the original Spawn movie, um, especially for that time. It was a fun, didn't take itself too seriously. Obviously, with John Leguizamo's character in it, who was farting and flying away and doing crazy yeah, but shit. that CG makeup was. Uh, or not CG, the prosthetic makeup on him was badass. You got to admit. Oh, it was, for that era, they were doing some really amazing stuff. I, I like it. And I, I mean, Tom McFarlane has definitely got a, a, a look and a style. So, and if he's really on board, I'm excited to see where that goes. Because, I mean, he created Spawn. Like, that's his, that's not like a character he inherited. He created it. Like, because, and I don't know if you know this, back in like, I guess it was the mid-90s or whatever, like, all the major Marvel artists kind of got together because they weren't liking, they didn't like how they were being treated by Marvel. So you had Jim Lee, Tom McFarlane. Uh, I, I want to say Rob Leefield was one of them, but there was a handful of Marvel artists that left Marvel and created image comics and then launched a bunch of new comic books on image. And spawn was like the premier issue to pull people in. Cause it was Tom McFarlane. And, uh, 
And that was like a, and it's still, I think Spawn is still going and people love that comic book, which is impressive for a, a, a startup, essentially comic book company to have a character that's, you know, going strong like that still. So, Did, so, so you're, you, but now, you know, Blumhouse is known for doing these movies on, you know, cause I did a Blumhouse movie, you know, I think we had a $4 million like budget on GD Jezebel and uh, yeah. And I, I did, I worked on uh, uh, Halloween 2018. That was Blumhouse yeah. too. Um, and, and I think they, you know, they, they, they only spent I don't know, 26 million or something like that on Halloween. Um, I could be wrong. I know that I know the sequel Halloween kills is like 40 million, but um, you know, it made pay dirt. So the, the first one, so they're dumping more money into it. Um, but uh, you know, they're probably going to do it on a shoestring, which could be a good thing, right? If they've proved that they can do the CGI on invisible man on a low budget type thing, then they can yeah. probably do spawn. Well, and I still think you could do Spawn with a lot of practical stuff. You know, I mean, you could still, I mean, because essentially, you know, Justice League to an, an extent, you can have Superman walking around in the suit with a CG cape and stuff. Because Spawn's right. cape is definitely going to be CGI. CGI, his, yeah. His cape is crazy big and has a mind of its own almost. So it's like definitely. But the thing that is, if Tom McFarlane is involved, I have faith because he'll make sure it stays true to his comic book. And I think that's well, he's involved. Of, yeah. So, I mean, that's a good sign for me. Like I, I think I'm actually anxious to see that movie knowing that he's involved. Uh, Do you it. have any of the um, Todd McFarlane movie maniacs, any of the action figures that came out? The, those, those are, I have no. the jaws playset, which is uh, the shark coming up and eating Quint and the orca. Oh, sinking yeah? in the water. I have that. It's on my shelf. I, I, it's one of my marquee pieces, but I'm not like a collector collector. I yeah. took that shit out of the box. I set it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care about having stuff in the box. Um, yeah, me either. It's just not my thing. But uh, yeah, the I loved all the movie maniacs that Todd Todd McFarlane, you know, put his seal of approval on all those, you know, action figures and stuff that came out. It's pretty badass stuff. Um the we touched a little bit on the gallery uh yeah. the mandalorian all the technology that's coming uh um that was a pretty wild episode to see all the great. behind the scenes they finally like really pulled the curtain up and let like there was shots where you saw the whole digital wall being manipulated yeah. and moved and and then how the set set dressers would move in boulders to fix a seam or something yeah. and just really wild stuff and then this article on medium.com came out and talked all about this renaissance in filmmaking. Now that COVID-19 is out, they're going to be cutting crews down. Um, yeah. They're going to be doing stuff on stages. You can you don't have to worry about traveling people to uh, another country like Morocco because you can recreate it on a stage now right. with the digital cinema. I mean, like Lucas and those guys at ILM or, you know, Lucasfilm, they really opened up a can of worms, but at the same time, they're revolutionizing things. We talked a lot about this in the last episode, but yeah. since the gallery came out, we that came out and we were, we had already recorded the other um, podcast. So, you know, right. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, we don't need to go over a ton of that again. But I will say it was one thing that really stood out to me this time around was, and how I, before I was like, it's game changer, it's going to change everything. I still agree with that. But they did say it does have a, a caveat with it that 
it only works when you're sort of silhouetted, like your light source on them can't be stronger than the background. So that means a lot of outdoor stuff. And then when you kind of think about it, a lot of the stuff they did in The Mandalorian with that thing is either an inside set or it's at dusk or dawn. Like if you think about it, it was very not a lot. And then even with the when they were, uh, I think it was the third episode when he was going to, he had gotten the child and he, they'd stolen his uh, parts. You know, the Jawas had stolen right with all the Jawas. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even a lot of that was in like caverns. You know, if you notice, like the way they did, it, they showed it. Like he was in a cavern in like, you know, it had a cutout top. Because they said, like, because uh, I think it was um, John Favreau was talking about, we found, you know, if you try to hit them, if your light source is too bright on them, it won't match up. It'll break that illusion with the background because the and background. And that was because they visible. learned that on the Jungle Book. Right. So, so I do feel like, you know, you, you can't just go in as like, this will change everything. We can go in and shoot like it's, you know, we're in Morocco. Yeah, maybe at night in Morocco. I mean, during the daytime, it's clearly going to be a lot more. You're going to have to get real creative with how you do it, which I'm sure they'll figure it out. But yeah, I that was really interesting to to learn that aspect of it. And then when you go back and look, there's a ton of silhouette type of shots in The Mandalorian and uh, lots of just dusk, which I, I appreciate that. They, like they were saying in the thing, you can do like a an 18 hour dawn or whatever, like or 10 hour dawn like that's amazing you know yeah so yeah because you know that's that's on real movie sets when like when we're working and we're having to adjust lights every hour because the sun's moving in order to capsulate an outdoor shot you know you're going from small lights to 18 k's just to keep up with the sun and you know you don't have to do that you literally can set the lights Mm -hmm. as a dawn and that's the thing like capturing what they call um uh uh magic hour magic hour yeah magic hour you only get an hour that's why they call it magic hour is that time where it's a transition between dusk and dawn and yeah. the light is perfect to film in and you only get that magic hour to do it period well, really and now you, you don't have even a 12 hour, hour magic hour you, yeah, you don't even you, get the full right. hour. You only get really one shot in that hour because it's constantly changing. It's like changing. you're, it's like that's the the thing that's awesome about Magic Hour, and the thing that's horrible about it is you've really got one shot at it. If and you're not going to be able to edit something that's going to work without seriously relighting stuff, and you don't have that time. So, and that's where I think stuff like this is going to be amazing because you can have a full day at the same time, the whole time, you know? So that's really cool. But it, it was, it was interesting to hear sort of the, the slight drawbacks with that technology. And I'm sure they'll figure it out. Like, cause as soon I, as the industry starts embracing I, I, it. I also loved uh, John Favreau saying, if it wasn't for Kathleen Kennedy, you know, Allowing it that? all to, he said it. He said it at the table. That's that. That's that. I'm gonna. He throw said it. To, but if you watch his body language too, <laughs> this is what I was telling you. He is aimed at Dave Filoni the entire time. So if you want to really get into, you know, CSI this shit, look at his body language. And even it's like when she says something, it's just like, I'm here throwing a softball in. Like, look at me. I'm here. Like, no one gives a shit about what you're saying because. 
the people that matter that are really making the decisions of Star Wars in the right direction are the ones making the ones that are talking. You know like, why they all care about Kathleen Kennedy? Because she signs her check. Yeah. Ta-da! And that's only power she has. That's not true. I for the force is female, my friend. <laughs> why? Why would they even do that? Like, why even? I'm go kidding. There? Like, I'm ki- I'm kidding. I the just, force is for I'm everyone. Just, I'm just I'm poking a bear. Um, yeah. But all right. So we had a good time on this episode. Um, I'll see you on the next one, bro. <laughs> <Later>. <laughs> Okay, I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode of The Spotlight with Sean O'Rourke. Make sure you follow me on social media. Uh, All the links are in the comment section below. Subscribe to my channel, and uh, we'll see you on the next one.